you're listening to an episode of the Life Equals Choices, Choices Equal Life podcast with your host, Kim Olver. This is Kim, and welcome to the 131st episode of Life Equals Choices, Choices Equal Life. If you like today's episode, be sure to leave me a review wherever you listen to your podcasts and share with your friends on social media. Just don't forget to tag me at Olver International. Today, I will be interviewing my friend and colleague, Nezreen Ali. Nezreen lives in Chicago's south suburbs, but is originally from Egypt. I met her during a Choice Theory event, and then she took several trainings with me, and along the way, we developed a wonderful friendship. Nezreen was a medical doctor in Egypt. Once in the U.S., she started working as a coach on a variety of different topics. Today, I've asked her to talk about the work she does in a physical therapy practice to help patients experiencing chronic pain with the psychological aspect of managing that pain. As someone who has a family member experiencing chronic pain, I'm very excited to hear what she has to say. I'm thrilled to have you with us, Nezreen. Thank you so much for being willing to discuss this important topic. Oh, thanks to you. I am very excited and uh, looking forward to this meeting. Wonderful. Maybe we could start with what does it look like, feel like to actually live with chronic pain? You know, Kim, I want you to imagine that you have a family friend and your family friend asks if he can stay at your house for a couple of weeks. You agree and you start preparing the guest room for him to make sure he is feeling okay and feeling comfortable. He came, but you know what? He doesn't stay only in his guest room. He was like wandering around, enjoying himself, being home, open your refrigerator, put his stuff, moving his stuff. Every day he bring more and more stuff, occupying not only your guest room, but now his laptop in your living room, his clothes all over the place. And you start to feel what at this point? Can you imagine? (laughs) Oh, I can imagine. I'm not very happy and I would think I want him to leave. I want him to stay in his place and not take over my house. Exactly. You wanted him to leave. That's what we have when we have a chronic pain guest. We wanted to be out, out of our system, out of your life, out of your day. But you know what happened? It will get even more ugly because you have the conversation with your guest. And instead of him telling you that I'm almost about to leave, he he will tell you something like, no, I'm not ready. And I need to stay even a couple of more weeks or months or whatever. And at this point, you are extremely extremely angry. Not only discomfort, you are extremely angry and you have this conflict about, so what I'm going to do? You are losing control over your house and you are losing control over your day, your structure, your routine. And it's getting very, very, very frustrating to you. And you start even to feel more disturbed by it. You talked with your mother or your other friend about it, and they suggest that, okay, Kim, if you are not capable at this point to kick him out, maybe you can negotiate with him that he can just go and stay in the guest room. Yeah, I'm thinking maybe I could get him to stay in the guest room, but if not, maybe I should leave. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, but you will be leaving your house to him, right? Right. I can't do that. (laughs) You can do that. When you leave, it's like I'm giving in more. The point is, the minute you start realizing that you have some control, not totally out of control, 
And if you really succeed to negotiate with him and he agreed to stay in the guest room, not leaving, I think this is a good enough point to start from. And this is when we think about or help our client or our patient to think about the chronic pain cycle. It's like fencing the pain or letting the pain be all over our life, shaping our life, making it sound like or feel like something that is not totally in our control or not totally something we can deal with or we can handle. The thing is, there is two ways to handle the chronic pain cycle. We say passive way or active way. The passive way remind me personally with the concept of reality therapy about the external control psychology, thinking that the pain controlling my life and I can only be me when I get rid of the pain. The other choice I can make is by active management, not the passive, which looks like, in my opinion, or remind me with the internal control psychology philosophy, which is even though I have been, I still can make a choice that make things better for me, that help me, that empower me. So I am choosing which lane it's up to me, how my chronic pain experience will be affected by the way I think, the way I act, the way I feel. Because you know what? At the end, it's your body and your mind exchanging information between each other. So it sounds like the pain is non-negotiable, but the suffering is negotiable. Yeah, exactly. You can negotiate also with the pain, but you can refuse to allow the pain to be suffering. You can stop the pain from creating suffering. I have the pain, but it's about being disturbed by the pain. So you have a primary problem, which is you are having some issues. No one can deny that. And this is your body telling you that. So having a problem about the problem. How do you help your clients make that shift from passive to active, from external to internal? How do you do that? You know what we say, all what you can give or receive is information. And really, information is very, very empowering. We teach patients what we call the biopsychosocial model. Let me share with you some information about this model. From the name, bio means biological, the physiology, the anatomy, your medication, your treatment, your physical general health, even before you get your chronic pain, your history. From the name also, the word social means your family support system, your relationship. Can you imagine someone have chronic pain and then he is going through divorce or he just get the news that he is fired? Can you imagine the pain will be worse or better? Even nothing changed from biological point of view or from a physical point of view. Just by imagining the total picture of what is this person socially going through. Oh, it's going to be much worse. Yeah. When we talk about the biological and the social aspect of the model, there is for us as a coach, some stuff we can do, not in the biological, but we can do in the social, which is examining the relationship, knowing exactly what kind of challenge facing the client right now. But you know what? The most work will go to the psychological aspect or the psychological layer. 
just by explaining to your client that there is different factors that will affect or impact his chronic pain cycle and making him aware or raising, not making him, helping him to be more aware of what factor could influence his progress. And he also gained some control over those aspects. With the psychological aspect, I am talking about what he believes about himself and about his disease and about even the treatment, even maybe about the therapist that he is treating him. What is his perception and what is his attitude about disease or even about himself before knowing that or dealing with this? In which way he is acting? Is he acting responsible or he is in denial or is he resisting? Also, we can talk about expectation. We can talk about his triggers. In order for us to improve the pain cycle, we need to work with expectations and beliefs. Those are the main two things I really start with them. Let me give you an example about expectations. Do you know when we start having some pain, not chronic, I'm just talking about now you wake up with headache. Mm-hmm. So you expect everyone around your family to know that, oh, now I'm having a headache. I'm expecting the kids to behave, the husband to do more. No one <laughs> asks or expect anything from me because you know what? You should know better. I'm in pain. Imagine you're this client now with his chronic issue, expecting that others need to behave always in a certain way that match this picture in his brain about what must happen, what they must say what they should not do or should not expect. And when this is not happening, when the reality does not match what's in his brain, what will happen to him? He will get even more disturbed. And this is the pain cycle. Now we are going up or down. We are creating more negative spiral or... Right, you're making it worse. You are making it worse only by expecting something and not getting what you're expecting. And it will be more and more disturbing to you. I Absolutely. Will, that's why we, we, we deal a lot or we ask a lot about what did you expect from your environment? And did what did you expect even from your medication? Because sometimes with medication, chronic pain patient will expect, oh, but I'm taking my medication. I'm supposed to be pain free. Or if I'm not pain free from the medication, it means I need to take more medication. What we do, actually, we need to visit this area and help him to differentiate between realistic expectation and non-realistic expectation. Rational expectation and irrational expectation. Another thing about the belief is when you have chronic pain, day and night, you are struggling with something painful. What you do spontaneously, you will try to avoid the pain, right? We know of pain and pleasure scale, and we are trying all the time to escape from pain and go toward the pleasure, right? Of course. So now, if you start avoiding pain, it means you maybe you are avoiding to move. You are avoiding to do stuff. You are avoiding to live, basically. So sometimes avoiding pain ends up with avoiding life. Wow. It's drawing, right? Yeah, which would then, of course, psychologically cause some depression, right? Yes. It's a cycle and it feeds each other. So when we help the patient or the client, we are trying to help our client understand the difference between avoiding pain and managing pain. 
and understanding that sometimes pain get cured by movement, not by stub movement. So right. sometimes the key is movement is the medicine. Yes, I can see that. And when he realized that, he stopped avoiding to move, he stopped avoiding to live or to make commitment or to go places or to visit people. Now he knows that he needs to move. Actually, movement is good for him. And also we will help him differentiate between being hurt and being harmed or destroyed. Your pain could hurt you, could annoy you, could frustrate you, but your pain will never, never destroy you. What will destroy you is your own thoughts and your own beliefs about the pain. Like when you start telling me in the beginning, we need to differentiate between pain and suffering. How can we go from suffering because we have been into managing actively our pain? I had a sciatic nerve problem once. I had a fall and it pinched a nerve and I had what I'm going to label excruciating pain. The thing that I told myself was, I can't stand this pain. That was what I always said. I can't take it. And I'm grateful that that pain for me only lasted three weeks because I thought if it was chronic pain, I don't know how I would have managed it. I would have need to come to someone like you who could help me understand that the things I was saying to myself, I can't handle this, was causing it to be worse than it needed to be. Yeah, it's adding, not subtracting. Yes, adding, not subtracting. Absolutely. We need also to understand how powerful it is to share this tool that I really, really, really like. And I think it's very empowering. And I learned it from reality therapy, the car model. It's when you imagine yourself as a car and you imagine that the front wheels is your thinking and your acting and the back wheels is your feeling and your physiology. And you teach your client how he can navigate the pain cycle through thinking, acting, feeling, physiology. So now the back wheels is what I feel. I feel my shoulder hurt or I feel this or that. And he is trying to control his feeling or waiting for his feeling to be begun in order for him to start acting. And when he understands that feeling, we cannot get direct access to them. And we only can get direct access to our thinking or our acting, and maybe even to your acting more direct than your thinking. Then he will start making the shift from waiting for feeling to get better to change the component of acting in order for him to feel better. So let's say you start by telling yourself, oh my God, I can't move. I have the pain. I will not move or I will not do anything. I will not shower. I will not take breakfast. I will not do anything unless I feel better. So you are sitting in your couch waiting to feel better, thinking I can't do anything unless I am being free. From the pain. Yes, I'm free from the pain. Imagine the other way around, which is when your pain cycle, not driving your car, and you are actually the one who is driving the car, not the pain cycle driving your car. Do you think sometimes people give their keys to the pain? Yes. And they let the pain drive them around a while. That's passive. They're not taking control. Yes. The pain is telling you sleep for the rest of the day. The pain is telling you, no, don't answer the phone and don't go out with your friend. Right. And when this will be done, 
the pain will not be done. No, you will be at one point making the choice to not ignore the pain. It's not about ignoring the pain. It's about managing the pain, dealing with the pain, confronting the pain, maybe negotiating with the pain. Maybe, yes, I cannot do a very long day going out, but I can go for two hours and come back. Right. When we start negotiating with our pain, not taking orders from our pain. Oh, I like that. Not taking orders. I don't like taking orders from anybody. So pain is no exception. (laughs) Exactly. What do you think about what does sound like, feel like if you are driving your car, knowing that, no, I can handle the pain. And when you are telling yourself it's out of my control, I cannot take it anymore. I cannot handle it. I must be okay. Why I'm not okay. Why this is happening to me. Do you feel the difference between driving your car, telling yourself that and telling yourself the other way around? Definitely. Definitely. It makes the world a difference. Doesn't change the pain, but it changes my sense of control, which is very important. I need to have some self-efficacy with the pain. And also it might even get the pain to be worse, not better, because you are telling yourself, I cannot take it. And it's not like, oh, she cannot take me. I need to be a little bit wiser or a little bit merciful. No, it will not work like that. Right. And what it does, I think, is it creates beyond the physical pain and emotional pain, because now the emotional pain is I'm not cut out for this. I can't handle this. I'm inadequate. So now not only do I have pain, but I'm a wuss. There's something wrong with me. I can't manage this. Right. So it layers psychological pain on top of the physical pain and just magnifies it. Yes, exactly. And now you are dealing with another component, which is the thinking. So now is a piece of the black and white thinking. It's either I am okay, zero pain, or I am not okay because I am having pain. When we ask the client to always put yourself on a scale from one to 10, zero is no pain. One, two, three is yes, I am in pain, but I'm okay. I don't need my treatment or whatever. I don't need to take any medication for the pain. Five, six is when you start to thinking, oh, I need to do something to my pain. Never wait until it's eight or nine. And this is being proactive. And when you put him in the scale and ask him to give the pain number, I don't know why they think about the pain in a less scary way. There is this space created between you and the pain when we put the pain on the scale. So it's not me. I like that. When you have a person who comes to you in chronic pain, what are some reasonable expectations that that person can have? First expectation is a realistic expectation that he see himself as efficient enough, capable enough, resourceful enough. And when I say resourceful, it means his family, his medical team, also his friend. I will say his spiritual, one of his resources, if he is a spiritual person, this could be one of the biggest resource for for you. Mm -hmm. When you see yourself as someone who is resourceful, not resourceless, I have what it takes to challenge this and to cope with this and to handle this. First thing, I'm expecting him to learn more about himself because it's get very, very, very challenging. It started to make you question everything and evaluate everything and learn a lot about you. It's like you are in the lab. 
your pain put you in a place maybe you will never think to go if life is regular and normal and average and everything is happening spontaneous. Pain make you stop for a while and think and reevaluate and reconsider and ask about what is the meaning, what is the purpose of my life. Sometimes pain, the experience of pain, believe me, add more meaning and add more purpose to your life. How can you find anything positive out of pain that doesn't even sound right to me? How does that work? You know, one day I asked one of my clients, what was different now for you? And she had not only chronic pain, she had some disability. And she told me, you know what? Now I have more mercy inside of my heart. My heart is now more open. And she told me I used to be extremely stubborn and rigid. Now, Nisreen, I'm extremely flexible and open. And I said, wow, just wow. When being perceived as a gift, because you know what? It always could be worse. Yeah. You can use the pain, transform this pain to another level. Yeah, I like that. It's like the pain is knocking on the door saying, hey, you're alive. If you can feel this pain, you know that you're still here. And you could be not here at all. That's right. And what are you going to do with being here? What can you do? You may not be able to do all the things that you used to be able to do, but there may be other things that you've always wanted to do that you didn't have the time for. And now you do. Yeah. So it's not being with or being without the pain. It's about being. And as long as this being is existing, I'm existing. I'm there. Right. Still, I can have impact even while I'm in pain. Even though I am in pain, I still can have impact and I can have impact in a positive way. Right. How important would you say it is for clients to accept that they do have pain? I imagine some clients might come to you in some kind of denial about it, or if not denial, at least it's not fair. This shouldn't be happening to me. Why is this happening to me? That kind of thing, fighting against it rather than accepting it. How important is that? First, you have to go through the conflict phase. There is no way that you will jump to acceptance without extremely go in the conflict area, conflict zone. And uh, you can stay from one day to one month to the rest of your experience. And your experience will be all about conflicting and refusing and resisting and denying. And then when we start understanding, you are the one who teach me that in order to accept, you need to understand, right? I did. (laughs) So the way is through understanding. When you explain the psychosocial model, when you inform your patient, not only about the psychological part, the expectation, belief, limitations, when you even explain to him, and I saw a lot of therapists, one of them is my husband, even explaining anatomy and physiology and biology, educating your patient. You don't leave your patient in the dark because when you are in the dark, things are out of proportion. Right. You have no awareness or control in the dark. Give them knowledge, knowledge about the nature, the nature of the muscle or how the muscle work. When this muscle hurt, it gives you pain here and here and here. It's not only the muscle. It's something called referred pain. And that's why you have this. And what we are doing in therapy is trying to improve this muscle. So this muscle will have more tone. So it's overcompensating the weak area, educating the patient and help him to understand what will eventually get him to acceptance. 
So you actually use that conflict staircase that goes from conflict to tolerate. You have to tolerate the pain and then understanding and then accepting. And then when you talk about appreciating, finding the glow or finding the good in that pain, do you find people go through those stages in that way? Explain it. And I tell always my client that you are between conflicting and tolerating. And what is the difference between tolerating and accepting? Because they will always even sometimes claim, no, 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 we accept it. I said, no, you are tolerating as long as you are complaining even to yourself at night. That's right. That's not acceptance. The minute you are complaining, the minute you are telling why me, the minute you are blaming someone else, this is a sign of I am tolerating, I'm not accepting. Because people will think I'm accepting, I'm okay, I'm accepting it. But when you discuss a little bit deeper and ask them to evaluate and be honest with themselves, they will come to realize, no, no, I'm not accepting and I need to reach to this point. I love that you're using that. Thank you. Oh, you're welcome. You're welcome. You are the one who helped me to understand those stuff. So, Well, I'm, I'm just glad that it works in this area of chronic pain. I've never used it there. I use it with couples. I use it in diversity, but I didn't know it would have application in chronic pain. How cool. It worked with everything because you know what? It's a gold tool or a diamond tool. I will call it the diamond tool because this is what we do all the time. We are either conflicting or tolerating. Then we decided to start understanding. And then when we start trying to understand, not to be understood, try to understand, this shift get created inside our brain. We are more open, we are less resistant, and we are applying and learning Are you trying to help people to stop trying to live without pain and to decide who they are with their pain? Yeah. Start thinking rationally about their pain. Because if there is treatment, if there is a way that pain can go and disappear, do you think we will say, no, no, we are so used to it. We make a friendship. Until he goes away, we need to know that even if we are not able to be a friend, we cannot make it our enemy. We can coexist. Yeah. Like I could learn to live with that friend in the guest room if I had to. Yes. It's not even a friend. It's a family friend. Mm. Remember, you can negotiate with a friend, but can you negotiate with an enemy? No. No, you cannot negotiate with an enemy. You have to turn him to a friend and then start negotiating. And I know a lot of the stuff we say is sound easy, but it's not. So you expect a lot of relapse. You expect people to start thinking positive and thinking and saying changing the inner dialogue about the pain. And then all of a sudden things will be worse and they will be having a lot of negative inner dialogue. But also you can accept that about yourself and you will not judge yourself when you have those moments. When you start again relapsing, talking negative to yourself or feeling, oh my God, I'm angry, I'm scared, I don't want to do it, I don't see any hope, I'm not going to therapy. You will be not judging yourself, you will be having mercy to yourself, you will be kind to yourself, you will be more understanding to, yes, it's a cycle and it's okay to be at this point and transform it to another the point after that, which is accepting, cooperating having empathy, having hope that things will be better, not necessarily better as you imagine them to be, but maybe 1%. Your ability to see progress, even if this progress is 1%. Right. 
that sounds like you're trying to create a realistic expectation again, because if the expectation is that you're going to go see a pain coach and learn how to manage this, and you're never going to go backwards, you're only going to make positive forward movement, then you could really be mad at yourself and beat yourself up if you ever have a small setback or relapse. So again, it's trying to educate people as to what this process is like. It's not a flip the switch. And once you flip the switch, you're always going to do it the right way. And I always tell my client, you are not a coffee machine where we can push a button, espresso, push a button, cappuccino, push a button, Americano. No, you are not like that. You are a human being. Messy. We're messy. Yeah, we are very, very complicated. And we are very, 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 not one level, many, many, many layers. Part of you is against you, part of you work with you, part of you watching what's happening between the other parts of you. How helpful do you think it is for people to get a coach when they're dealing with chronic pain? Does a coach really help? I believe in my heart, I believe every single therapeutic environment should include coaching, at least in an educational setting, at least if not one-to-one, because it will be expensive and it will add to the expense of the therapy. And, you know, it's not even paid by the insurance, right? Right. So at least in an educational way. And this is what I'm trying to do. So you work with your husband who does physical therapy. That's really awesome. It's less expensive. It's not extra load. Because you know what, maybe lecture in the beginning and in the middle and at the end of the eight or 10 session physical therapy. So the patient will have two or three follow-up coaching session. This is what we do always. We have to have this, the biopsychosocial model. Right, they need to learn that. Yes, this is the first in the beginning. Then maybe one in the middle to catch up with how things are. Now you can examine the limiting beliefs, the thinking component, two sessions before we end. Usually they don't have to be the same diagnosis, different diagnosis. You don't care about the diagnosis. So does everybody get those services or do some people accept them and some people not? No, you offer everything, but some people will choose to go and some people will not be encouraged. Some people will think if it's included as payment, they will do it. If it's not included, they will not do it. So there is a lot of factors, again, that will determine if they will take the service or not. Do you see any difference in pain management among the group that has the coaching versus the ones that don't? Absolutely. Wow. You can hear about that, not from the patient himself, but even from the syrups, the one he is managing the case. Oh, how How interesting. Exactly. How committed the the client is or his patient is. Commitment to treatment. The relationship between him, the way he thinks about his therapy, the way he perceives the treatment, the way he thinks about relapse, the way he perceives the pain. And that all comes from the coaching. Yes. You should be very proud of yourself that you offer these services that really help people who are in pain. And I know that people who are in pain feel like there's nothing that will help. I have a brother who is in constant pain. He has degenerative disc disease. He has Lyme disease and he has arthritis in his back. And he's been a mechanic his whole life, bending over cars, twisting wrenches, you know, hurting his upper thoracic region. And he's just in chronic pain 
all the time. And I know he doesn't know anything about what we've talked about tonight. I'm going to be very happy to share some of this with him. And thank you so much for sharing it with my audience. You're welcome. And it's a pleasure to be with you, Kim. Learn and I apply what you teach me. I take it and I go with it. Well, you do. You always go beyond what I've taught and apply it in places that I would never even think of. We're just about at the end of our time, but I want to give you the opportunity if there's anything you'd like to add that we didn't already talk about. Imagine yourself driving your car again, and you are asking yourself, who is driving my car? Is my pain cycle driving my car or not? The other question I want to add to this is where my car is. In my area of control, or in my area of concern, or in my area of influence. This tool also very helpful because when you realize that your car needed always to be in your area of control, where you can control your thinking, your feeling, your acting, the choice you are making, you are making always the choice that at the end will improve or help to improve the situation, not make the situation worse. Those three areas area of concern, area of influence, area of control, really help a lot knowing that if you let your pain cycle drive your car, it will always choose which area. And it probably won't choose control. Yes, because pain cycle, it doesn't feel that you have control over anything. So it will always bring you to the circle of concern. What will happen? It will be worse. What if I did not improve? What if the medication does not help me get rid of my pain? It will be always in the anxiety circle. I can't stand this pain. Yeah. That's not a place of control. That's not a place where you have any influence over that pain. You let your pain cycle drive your car. It will always choose which lane the concern, never the control area, never the influence area. Wow. Okay. Do you have anything coming up that you would like to tell the audience about? You have any workshops that are open to the public or anything that they could take a part of? Not right now. I started already what I call the butterfly effect. It's about how we impact others. And it's mainly a relationship, how to build trust and build safety in all of your relationship. And from this point, you start influencing other people. I will open it very soon to the public. I'm doing it with one of our local center now. And very soon I will open it to the public. Okay. Well, when you do, if you want to send me an email, I'll add it to the show notes. How could they reach you? Through you. <laughs> Through me. So if people are interested, <laughs> I'll have them get in touch with me and then I'll forward their information to you. That works. What I absolutely loved about the conversation was applying that conflict stairway to pain also the part about taking control of what you can control. It might not be a lot and the progress might only be 1%, but to focus on the progress, not on the pain. So don't let the pain cycle drive your car. A little bit of everything. One of my clients asked me, why even I'm trying? I think about it a little and I told her, so why you are trying? What is your why? To get to this point, It's not me who will give you your whys. You have to dig deep and find your whys. And maybe you find that because you are worthy of trying. Because you are worth it? Yeah. Yeah. And the life worth trying. Yes. No matter how painful it is. Right. 
Well, I'm sure that there are people out there who are going to listen to this podcast and they are either in chronic pain or they know someone who's in chronic pain. They love someone who's in chronic pain and they may be reaching out to fill up some of those coaching sessions that you have on this to help themselves or people that they care about. I just really thank you for doing the work because most of the work in the area of pain is physical, medical. We go to medical doctors, medical personnel, but there is a big component. The bio component is handled, but the psychosocial part is the part that you can really help with. What really, really, really at the end changes our prognosis. Yes, it does. I just want to tell you, I respect the work you're doing, and I really appreciate you coming on this call to talk to us tonight. Thank you very much. It's my pleasure, and it's my honor being with you and doing what we are doing today, and I will be willing to come and talk to you. It's a pleasure. Well, that feeling's mutual. Nizreen, Ali, thank you so much. You're welcome. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed today's podcast, and remember to leave a review and share with your connections on social media. I also hope you'll join me next week when I'll be interviewing William This has been another thought-provoking episode of Life Equals Choices, Choices Equal Life. To listen to past episodes, please visit our website at lifeequalschoices.com or listen wherever you download your podcast. And don't forget, remember to subscribe.